Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. The epic quest among federal regulators to pin insider trading charges on Wall Street titan Stephen A. Cohen sounds like the fictional show Billions, but this is a real story. Sheila Kolhatkar has written the definitive account of this quest. It is called Black Edge, and she joins us now. This is Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Money Beat. I'm Paul. I'm Steve. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing okay, Steve. How are you? We haven't been in the studio in a while. We have not been. No, we've been like ships not passing even near each other. But today we are in the same port, in the same studio. And uh, interesting story today. Uh, Stevie Cohen, a lot of you out there, you've heard of him. Maybe some of you haven't. Uh, Legendary Wall Street uh, investment ma- manager, uh, a guy who, interestingly enough, came from a Long Island family, went to Wall Street, almost literally set out to make himself a legend on Wall Street and did do that. But in ways, some ways he probably never really imagined and made so, himself both famous and infamous. Maybe there you go. Yeah, that's a good way to, to define it. it. Uh, this is this is one of the more famous tales on Wall Street. And to help us uh Go through this. Sheila Kolhatkar is the author of the book Black Edge. She is a staff writer at The New Yorker, and she has just put this book out, which just which tells tells. I mean, it really tells the tale of one of the biggest stories in the world of of Wall Street and world of finance. Um, you know, since the financial crisis, right. I mean, this really did dominate the headlines for many years. And it's a story of insider trading and how it went, you know, and how uh, it went from Galleon to Steve Cohen right. and SAC and, Capital. And, and Sheila, welcome to the show. It's nice to be here. We're we're really happy to have you on. Um, so, you know, the interesting thing about this story, I think, too, is that it's it's almost like a real life billions, the Showtime show. But it really is about more than just, you know, one of these masters of the universe types. I mean, this really is about how regulators have handled and, and in some cases mishandled what goes on on Wall Street. I think that's right. I think it really illustrates some of the weaknesses in the system. And right. a lot of people looked at uh, the Steve Cohen case because the government worked on it for years. Insider trading was a major focus of the U.S. attorney in Manhattan, Preet Bharara, and of the SEC for years and years. And a lot of people looked at that afterwards and said, you know what, they did not deploy their resources well. They should have been spending all that energy prosecuting um, financial crisis fraud cases, Mm -hmm. and there were relatively few of those. And uh, in the end, it was a little bit controversial, even though I think people will generally agree that um, widespread insider trading is just not helpful for the market. It's not really fair that, you know, a lot of things were neglected in terms of white collar prosecutions. And um, some people blame the focus on Mr. Cohen. Can we take let's take just a sort of step back for, you know, maybe the listeners who haven't followed the big insider, this, you know, huge insider investigation. I mean, I. I don't think there has been one that this this size right, right. Uh, in you know in history. Um, talk, go back to Galleon and you know and how uh, and how that sort of transpired and how another that led firm, them another hedge, another hedge fund, fund yeah. um, and how that you know sort of turned 
you know, investigators to looking at uh, SAC Capital? Well, Galleon was a relatively large, I think it was around $7 billion in assets, uh, tech-focused hedge fund. It was co-founded by Raj Rajaratnam, who was a very big personality, um, gregarious, outgoing, uh, liked to brag, liked to travel and spend money lavishly and in very flashy fashion. And, um, you know, really starting in... 2006, the uh, government got wind that he was perhaps involved in a vast insider trading ring, basically um, a whole web network of traders and analysts at different hedge funds who were paying corporate executives, mostly at tech companies, um, in some cases corporate lawyers, uh, analysts at other firms. Uh, to get non-public information about these various tech companies, and they were trading on it like crazy and making tens and tens of millions of dollars. And in 2009, um, the FBI went and arrested Mr. Rajaratnam. And what we all learned that, that day was that they had been wiretapping hedge fund traders uh, for months and had amassed this enormous um, sort of trove of wiretap evidence of Rajaratnam and many of his associates and friends and colleagues swapping this information. And this was sort of a big deal on its own. And, and Raj, although he fought the charges, he is now serving a prison sentence. And it got quite a bit of attention. But uh, what was intriguing to me and to perhaps other people was that, um, you know, they really started to at some point shift their focus away from him and on to Steve Cohen and his fund, SAC Capital, which was arguably... Uh, a more high-profile target than even Raj was. Mm -hmm. Steve Cohen had um, one of the most successful hedge funds ever. Uh, SAC had over $15 billion under management at its peak and had been um, posting these incredible returns for years. They had only had one down year in their entire lifespan. Um, the fund was launched in 1992. And Their like down year was 2008, returns, right? which was a rough year for yeah. a lot of people. Sure. And, and like uh, so, so in the course year. of investigating Raj, you know, the FBI suddenly started to hear about SAC. And people were saying, well, you should really look at them. They're dirty. So they sort of shifted their attention onto Steve Cohen and his huge operation he was running. Now, the, the, one of the things I found interesting in, you know, in the coverage was – if you started looking at all the sort of you know pl different hedge fund players and bit players, SAC Capital comes up a lot in the sort of background of these guys. A lot of them had to either work there and the in the sort of different ties that you found between all of them and how they became different kind of insider rings almost. Well, this uh, this particular type of hedge fund that both Raj and Steve Cohen were running were very information driven. They were. Um, sort of long, short, uh, event-driven funds. They were basically looking for short-term trades, trading opportunities, based on some kind of catalyst. And often that catalyst would be an earnings report uh, or a drug trial result, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a takeover offer. But they were trying to make bets on stocks based on these events that they knew were coming up. And they would try and sort of figure out um, through means legitimate and in some cases uh, allegedly not legitimate. Uh, and then they would try to make money trading around these events. And um, this, is a very, this became a very popular strategy, although you know, there are thousands of hedge funds doing different things. This bred a particular sort of person, a very 
uh, information-hungry, aggressive analyst, and um, you had, you know, dozens of graduates of Ivy League colleges, of Wharton, Harvard, MIT, just working for these funds and spending their days trying to figure out what a particular company's earnings were going to be within a penny uh, of accuracy and then make a bet based on what the market was expecting. And uh, this this ended up being one of the hottest jobs in the financial world. Uh, very, very highly compensated. Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break there. We're going to have a lot more, a lot more with uh, Sheila Kolhutkar coming up next. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts, as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen here in the studio talking today with author Sheila Kolhatkar, author of the new book Black Edge about Stephen A. Cohen, SAC Capital Advisors, and one of the, the biggest insider trading cases that I, I think any regulators have ever busted by far, certainly, right? Since I mean, since maybe the 80s, but I think this is a, you know, right, arguably... Right. Uh, and and Sheila, one of the things uh, you know, really, uh, we should say too. I mean, really, congratulations on the book. It was, it was really well done. And one thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, I always think it's interesting with, with books like these, the the level of depth that you get. How much research do you have to do for a book like this to tell this? I mean, is it, not only is this the proverbial sprawling story. But, I mean, how, how many people did you have to interview? How much research did you have to do? How long did it take you just to do the research on a book like this? Well, it was obviously very research-intensive and difficult, yeah. although rewarding. Um, but I really started uh, working in earnest on the book in 2013, and I would say I had pretty much a completed manuscript three years later. Now, in my own defense, I was working full-time uh, for most of <laughs> yeah. that, so I was sort of juggling book reporting uh, along with my other, you know, professional duties. But, sure. um, you know, it was in incredibly, you know, uh, time-intensive. I mean, there were long periods where I had to build up relationships with the people who I hoped would kind of fill me in on a lot of the mm -hmm. backstory. I, I went back and reported out Steve Cohen's early years, his history, his right. founding of his firm, his first job, his college years, all of that. That was really fascinating, but... Yes, a lot of tracking people down from, you know, people from the 80s and the 70s and the 90s right. and, um, you know, finding, making contact with those people. And then there was this enormous, um, you know, trove of court documentation, which is a gift to any investigative journalist, as I'm sure you both are well aware. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, there were just thousands of pages of depositions and trial testimonies and FBI notes and... Um, you know, complaints and emotions, uh, that just going back years about um, SAC, about people who had worked there and then gone to other firms. And then, of course, there were two, you know, the, the sort of culminating drama of the whole story ended up in some ways being these two very high-profile criminal trials of two former SAC Capital portfolio managers, Matthew Martoma and Michael Steinberg. 
and I was able to attend those trials while they were happening. Um, and that was really interesting because well, I didn't really realize this before I, I worked on this book, but in fact, being a prosecutor is a bit like being a journalist. You right. have to tell a story right. to the jury. You have to construct a narrative after conducting this long investigation that can take months or years. So I was able to sit there while they presented the entire story in detail to a jury in New York City, and uh, that was all enormously helpful. Um, because, you know, they filled in a lot of details, conversations that happened, who said what to who, uh, people were, you know, called to testify and explain what they were thinking at different points. And there was just a, a tremendous amount of documentation. So that was helpful. No, I mean, I think the book does, uh, you know, a great thing, which is, you know, this is this is a story that was well covered, but it was very it was covered very incrementally when, you know, news broke, I think, in many ways. And there, this takes it back, you know, to the, to the, to the big level and ties all of these different you know, sort of aspects to get of the, of the story together. So you get a really <laughs> a great view of um, everything that's going on. One of the questions I wanted to talk to you about was culture, both the culture at SAC Capital and the culture at hedge funds. Because one of the things that comes out of this case is how insider trading was just so prevalent and how, the, you know, the culture at SAC helped generate that. Well, culture is obviously critically important when it comes to the question of whether people at a particular place um, may end up violating regulations or laws, and that is something I hear over and over again in almost every piece of business journalism I'm involved in. But there was a really um, interesting anecdote that I include in the book that I think illustrates something about SAC's culture. Uh, I spoke with Harvey Pitt, who is a former chairman of the SEC, who now runs a consulting firm. And a lot of what he does is go around to different hedge funds and asset management companies and make presentations on compliance issues to the staff. And insider trading is a hot topic because, um, you know, especially during this time, uh, before some of these prosecutions really scared people a little more, hopefully, uh, you know, there were a lot of people out there with access to material non-public information. And the sense was that perhaps some of the younger traders in particular who had not lived through uh, earlier insider trading scandals, you know, many people remember the Michael Milken case from 1990, right. for example. Mm -hmm. A lot of these younger traders, fresh out of school, uh, didn't really know those stories. So Mr. Pitt would go and try and scare them all about, you know, <laughs> not crossing the line. And he went and made a presentation at SAC in 2008. And... Um, you know, I, I, I did a lot of reporting on this presentation. I also spoke with him on the record, and um, and his presentation was introduced as evidence in one of the trials as well. And every single employee was dragged from his or her chair uh, to to a, a big room, I think it might have been the cafeteria, uh, to listen to this presentation. And it was sort of not optional. But later, Mr. Pitt recalled that Steve Cohen himself did not attend the presentation. He, he was too busy. He was behind his, his screens. And after it was over, Harvey Pitt was ushered over to kind of shake his hand, and then he left. But he said later, um, you know, that sends a message to your staff, if oh, yeah. you cannot be bothered to come yourself to the compliance presentation. <laughs> so... Um, I think that I think that says something about the culture. And a lot of people have said to me, you can have one bad apple at a firm, maybe two, but to have so many people 
arrested or implicated in wrongdoing at one place is unusual. And at some level must be a reflection of the fact that people are not paying close enough attention uh, to what those traders are doing. We are speaking with Sheila Kolhatkar, author of the book Black Edge. And you had mentioned briefly, Sheila, that you went back and and did a lot of the reporting out of uh, SAC Capital coming up in the 90s and Steve Cohen founding the firm. And and I thought it was interesting in, in those early years, I think you could already start to see the outlines of how this firm was going to operate. And I was wondering if you could just kind of run through that a little bit, especially when they started forming relationships with banks like Goldman Sachs and the things that they kind of demanded of that relationship. One of the things I thought was very interesting and on some level quite admirable about Steve Cohen was his um, talent as an entrepreneur and a businessman, because really when you think about it, he, he had grown up in this very middle class family. He went to Wharton. He worked as a trader at Gruntel, a small, scrappy brokerage uh, in Manhattan, and then he started his own company. And then he was in charge of this hedge fund. It grew very rapidly, and he had to kind of make decisions about how to, to position the firm and how to make money and how to respond to the market. And as he built up his his fund, um, you know, the hedge fund industry grew dramatically. I mean, he really rode the whole industry as it kind of exploded through the 90s. And... Uh, yes, it, it emerged over time that he was always sort of looking for some kind of advantage in the market. And he was trading such high volume himself and all of his traders, um, much more than many other fund managers of equivalent size. I mean, he was just rapid fire, high volume trading. So all of the investment banks were very eager to get a trading business with him and to kind of scoop up all those commissions. So they were kind of competitive with each other. And um, everyone on Wall Street sort of knew that SAC demanded the first call. If if there was a, a an upgrade or a downgrade on a stock, for example, at a big firm like right. Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, Steve Cohen wanted to know about that first. And uh, if you called him and gave him a heads up first, um, you know, about that or even another, you know, another huge customer making a big sale, something that might nudge a stock price one way or the other. He wanted to know before anyone else, and he was prepared to reward these firms with um, very lucrative trading business. And um, that is one way that he was able to, you know, sort of gain an advantage in the market is by getting good access to information. Yeah. And, And he wasn't saying to them specifically, give me inside information. He was just saying, I want to, and like you can see already how they're skirting this line, right? They're saying, I don't want inside information. I just want it before anybody else has it, which is almost like, uh, you know, distinction without any difference. It doesn't really feel right. And if you explain that to a lay person who is not a financial expert, it would sound like very improper to them. Yeah. But the fact is, it's true. It was not illegal. And they had to call someone first. That was his argument. Why shouldn't it be me? Yeah. Why shouldn't it be someone who's paying you guys really well? And um, from the bank's perspective, uh, you know, just, just, just the way we've seen the airline industry try to pamper first-class customers more and more at the expense of everyone else, uh, these big banks really found it to be good business to, to placate and pamper their best clients, especially uh, big trading clients. And, um, you know, everyone else could get called later on. They were less important. You, the book has been sort of compared to, you know, described as a sort of a Moby Dick-ass tale. Why, at the end of the day, were prosecutors unable to get, you know, their whale? 
Well, this this was the big question hanging over the story the entire time I was reporting it. Uh, would Steve Cohen be charged? Would he possibly face prison? This this would be a really big deal. Someone of his just sort of wealth and standing on Wall Street um, possibly put on criminal trial, forced to testify in a public courtroom. I'm really, it just does not happen anymore in America. And, um, you know, it, it, the reasons why he was not charged in the end are, are complicated. And um, th- there was a sort of a dramatic scene that I described in the book where his lawyers went down to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan and made a big presentation to 17 government investigators from the SEC and the U.S. Attorney and the FBI and this team of sort of white-collar defense lawyers spent four hours basically trying to scare the government about their case. And they kept saying, you don't have a witness, uh, you don't have a wiretap, you don't have any rock-solid evidence you can present to a jury that will guarantee you will win. And they, of course, knew that uh, a, a charge against Cohen um, would lead to an enormous fight. It would have taken up years of resources. And um, it would have been very, very embarrassing to lose a case like that. So the government had to go and just very coldly assess the evidence they had. And, and they kind of had to acknowledge at the end of the day, after all these years of, you know, flipping witnesses and trying to, you know, trying to, trying to build up a, a wiretap case and all this, all this stuff they've been trying, uh, they really did not have a rock-solid case against Cohen himself. They had a lot of examples of people doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing, but nothing that directly proved that he knew about it. Um, And there are people who believe they could have and should have charged him anyway. Uh, It really, I found people who who finished the book at the end are pretty frustrated with their decision. (laughs) But from their perspective, they just did not feel that they had the goods. So um, whether they were being cowardly uh, and just too worried about their own reputations is is a subject of debate. Uh, I think it's a fair point of debate for sure. Um, but they really they just didn't have it 100%. So it would have been a risky move. And uh, in the end, they did what they, they seem to do so often now, which is they charged the corporation instead of the individual. And they charged, um, you know, they indicted SAC itself. And they extracted, in total, almost $2 billion in fines. Black Edge, Inside Information, Dirty Money, and the Quest to Bring Down the Most Wanted Man in Wall Street is the name of the book. Sheila Kolhatkar is the author. Sheila, thank you very much for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun. And everybody else, we'll talk to you soon. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.